Okay, we're in, we're in Psalms, authentic humanity. So if you have a Bible, why don't you turn to Psalm 131, 131. I love this Psalm. I kind of stumbled across it. Love Psalms, but stumbled across this song, this song of a sense. It's written by David, three verses, but it's in these three verses, I really feel that we're we're going to deal with a tension that we all face this morning. It's the tension of every single human heart, and it's really the tension of pride and humility. Um, God wants us to be humble and supple and soft. He wants our hearts just to be kind and calm and peaceful and still. Like you shared, Andy, just beautiful. Just that, that rhythm of grace that Phil said where we can be calm within. But there's a tension that's always at play, pride. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. It's going to come up on the, the screen behind me. It says this, this is King David writing, My heart is not proud, O Lord, or my eyes haughty. I don't concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me, but I have stilled and quieted my soul like a weaned child of its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. Oh, Israel. You can imagine David singing this with the company of God's people. Oh, Israel. Don't worry, I'm not going to sing. Oh, Israel, put your hope in the Lord, both now and forevermore. Amen, indeed. Charles Spurgeon, a great preacher of the 18th century, said, this is one of the shortest psalms to read, but the longest to learn. And that's humility, right? It's a pretty easy concept, but really difficult to learn. Anyone nailed humility? In this space, one of you, no, I'm joking. Everyone's looking over, who, who? Lay hands on me, impart grace to me. Jesus said in Matthew 11, um, come to me all who are weary and heavy burdened and I'll give you rest. I love the fact that the King of glory, our saviour and friend, Jesus, that's always his call to us, friends. Come to me if you're weary and heavy burdened and I'll give you rest. But then he goes on to say, come learn from me for I'm gentle and humble in heart. So learning the ways of humility is really learning the ways of Jesus. And everything we're about as a church is we're looking to him. He's not a secondary figure. He is central to everything we are, everything we do. Learning the ways of Jesus is the call on our lives. So let's jump into this psalm. For me, this really challenges me, friends. I just want us to be a bit vulnerable here this morning. So I read these three verses as I was preparing. I knew I had this slot coming up and just like, man, there's so many decent hundreds, like loads of good stuff you could talk on. And then I thought, man, I, want, uh, I think this is the biggest thing in my life, humility. I'm not saying I'm good at it. I'm saying this is the challenge that I'm always proud. I find every day there's a moment to be proud. I said that first service, even driving here, driving, judging other drivers. I'm a better driver than you. That's what I think in my heart. Why did you do that? I wouldn't have done that. Singing worship songs in the car while judging people. It's a beautiful tension. It's powerful. My heart is not proud, David says. My heart is not proud. My eyes aren't haughty. Yeah, doing great at this. You know, the moment we say we're not proud, guess what? We've just expressed that we are. We've just shown that we are. The definition of haughty, arrogant, puffed up, big-headed, self-important, full of oneself, superior, snobbish, 
stuck up, vain, smug, disdainful, above oneself, high and mighty. Personal favourite of mine, fancy pants. (laughs) Fancy pants. Ooh, fancy pants. So externally, just being real, myself of you, externally, I can come across as a humble man. Internally, man, I'm high and mighty. I'm full of myself. I'm full of oneself. I feel like I'm superior because I've got an opinion on everything. I've got the right opinion on most things. Come to realise, I don't know much about anything, really. How about you? What's, what's going on in your heart? Well, I'll keep nudging you as we go because I, I really want to pray that throughout what I share, the Holy Spirit just begins to reveal stuff to you because like Andy Brilliant said, he, friends, he's so kind. Like he's so kind. He'll, re- he'll reveal stuff to you and he'll give you a way to just turn from it and it'll be kind and it'll be good for you. He says, I don't concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. Well, I do. I concern myself with everything and anything. I already know what's going to happen in my heart when I watch the football this afternoon. My family already said, my son revealed to me, Dad, I hate watching football with you. And I'm like, oh, no. Don't worry, it's not like my language gets blue and stuff like that, but he sees the internal. I'm looking at Andy now. Like, I know what you want this afternoon, bro. Um, he knows the internal fabric of my heart. He knows when my team do well, I do well. When my team do badly, I don't do so well. And that's terrible, friends. I don't know these people. I'm never going to know them. But I concern myself with everything. I wouldn't have done that, Jürgen. What do I know? What do I know? I've got an opinion on everything. I want to be right. I want to be heard. The biggest one for me, I don't want to be misunderstood. Oh, God forbid. Like If I'm misunderstood, that's where pride, I get defensive. I get protective of my own heart. What about you? You know, this can lead for me just to lose perspective on what's really important in life. Like, what's, like, like there's lots that's important, but what's really important? And often, like Andy says, it's those moments of grace. It's the small, seemingly small things in our lives that God's doing the most powerful work. Powerful work. But I have stilled and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. Man, what a challenge, right? My heart feels anything but this at times. I feel like a hyperactive child. Calm, still, peaceful, satisfied, weaned. Absolutely not. Like buzzing around all over the place. Thinking about this, concerned about that, worried about that. What if they think this of me? What about that? I've got to please this. I've got to please them. Buzzing around all over the place. My heart is like a weaned child with its mother. That's what King David was able to say. And he had armies against him. Like armies. My soul is good. Man, I find this a challenge. But I know as we see in uh, the last verse, verse 3 here, Oh Israel, put your hope in the Lord, both now and forevermore. And I feel the whisper of the Holy Spirit to me, Oh, Sam, come put your hope, your confidence, your trust, your security, your everything in me. Put your hope. Hope isn't this, crossing your fingers and hoping for the best. That's not hope. Hope is a sureness. It's, a, it's, a, it's assurance. It's a security. It's, man, I know this will happen. But it's putting all of myself in his hands, in his world, 
removing my world and putting it in his world, saying, man, I, I can't do this on my own. I've, I'm putting my full hope and trust in him. That's a challenge, right? You know, I've come to realize that the person that causes me most problems in my life is me. It's not you. It's none of you. It's me. I'm a nightmare. A genuine nightmare. I'm at war with myself a lot of the time. Sean Bowles had this great thought on Christian maturity. He said, you know, the signs of maturity is when a person is no longer at war with themselves and the world around them. And the world around them. Man, isn't that beautiful? Just imagine the scene where followers of Jesus can genuinely live with the internal world being so calm and peaceful. Like Jesus, there's a storm going on all around you. But as for my soul, man, it's well. It's good. It's weaned. I'm satisfied. Ever seen a weaned child? Man, punch drunk. Like, I'm good. They don't speak yet. But you see it in their eyes. Like, man, all I need is this cradling lap. And I'm putting my hope here. So how about you, friends? What happens when life is turned up for you? When the heat is turned up? When the tensions are there? When someone corrects you or challenges you or says, hey, do you mind if I just give you a bit of feedback on this? Hey, can I just, I remember my friend Brian once saying, hey, I've just noticed something. Do you mind if I just speak into your life? I, internally, I, accidentally I'm smiling. Internally I'm like, as long as you mind. Don't mind if I don't punch you. I realise moments when people say to you, hey, can I just say something? There's the flashpoint often. How do you respond? Defensive? Aggressive? Angry? Sad? Rejected? What goes on? I think fear, Andy, as you shared earlier, is a massive deal with this. I think really the ultimate thing about pride is fear. We fear the unknown. We fear being mistaken, uh, misunderstood, whatever it is. I think fear is a big deal. So, uh, Holy Spirit, I just I want to linger here for a moment. If you've got a notepad or a journal or a tippy-tappy device, write down things. Tippy-tappy is cool, by the way. It's what they're all calling them now. Write down some of the things that maybe Holy Spirit is highlighting to you right now. Maybe it is fear. Because at the end, I want us to stand and I want us to... Like Andy again said, like we're going to take our thoughts captive. We're going to be transformed by the renewing of how we think. And we're going to make a choice to say, man, I'm going to walk away from these, these thoughts, these habitual thought patterns. So continue to write as, as you feel Holy Spirit just leading you. What does God think? Man, there's so much in the Bible where God just opposes himself against the proud. But let me read just a few scriptures. Proverbs 3.34 he mocks proud mockers, but he gives grace to the humble. He mocks proud mockers. One translation says he's the scorner of scorners. So if you're a mocker, God sets himself up as the king mocker against you. That's what he does. He sets himself up against pride. Pride is the reason for the original fall of mankind. Pride. It's the original sin. Proverbs 29, 23, a man's pride brings him low but a man of lowly or meek spirit will give him or gain him honour. Matthew's Gospel, Jesus says, whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself or herself will be exalted. You know, this word exalt is to lift up, to elevate, to lift up in honour, in power, in esteem, in quality, 
Or actually, one translation says to raise in rank. That's what our hearts do. We want to lift ourselves up. We want to puff ourselves up. We want to lift ourselves up above other people. Not many people ever say they want to do that. But the reality is that's what we do pretty much every day. But those that do that will be brought low. And those that live low. Heidi Baker says, go low. Go low. Stop for the one. When you go low, God lifts you high. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but he has lifted up the humble, says in Luke's Gospel. James 4, 6. These are words taken from the Old Testament. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This word opposes is a really strong word. The original Greek term is like a military term. Picture it. The God of the whole universe sets up an army against pride. That's what it means. It's not like, yeah, I'll tolerate it. He sets up the army of heaven against pride. That's what he's done. That's why Jesus came, because of pride. It means to undo the entire argument or to square off against. He opposes the proud. Imagine God being your opponent. The heavyweight champion of the whole universe being your opponent because of pride. Chatting with John about this in the week, I love our chats. We just kind of bounce some ideas around at times. And I was saying, how do, you ha- how do you handle this? And he's like, the way I look at this is I often think of me with my kids. And when they do stuff or they come running, you know, swinging at me or just doing crazy stuff, I just put my hand on their head. That's how I pose them. It's not like you go swinging. It's like, no, 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 just calm down. That's got to stop now. Just peacefully and kindly and calmly, realizing that dad knows best and dad's stronger. God of the whole universe opposes the proud. He doesn't let any of it in. He sets up a war against it. Remember, we have a sowing and reaping principle. What we sow, we reap. Luke's Gospel says, with the same measure you give, it will come back to you. So if you give arrogance and haughtiness and self-importance, it will come back. If you give judgment and criticism, it will come back. So, What we allow fester to fester in our hearts really will determine how we live. It will be the fruit of our lives. So how how should we consider ourselves in the light of all that God said? Well, I just want to say humility in God's eyes is so beautiful, like so attractive. In the world's eyes, it's not. In God's eyes, it's beautiful. And you know in our eyes, it's beautiful as well. You know it is. When you meet someone of meek spirit, of humility, man, it's attractive, isn't it? That's what first attracted me into the church, if I'm honest. If I look back, I was like, you guys are amazing. You live, you live like different lives. It's humility. Humility doesn't deny who you are. I want to say this. Humility doesn't deny your identity. Or it doesn't promote a wrong frame of your identity, a wrong view of your identity. It's really important to know who you are. Jesus knew who he was. A false humility is having a false view of your identity. Or a false view of your identity will lead to false humility, which is in turn pride. So ironic. So it's not to have a false view of who you are. You've got so much worth on your life. Like, you're so valuable. You're so precious. Do you know how precious you are? It took the king of glory 
to leave glory to come for you. To hang his life upon a tree, to suffer, to bleed, to die. That's how much value is on your life. But he rose again to empower us to live these new lives. So I want you to know, first, like, like, when it's, not, it's not woe is me, I'm mere but a worm. And no, 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 I'm no good at anything. No, I think the most humble people are the most confident people in who they are, their identity in God. There's so much. Jesus paid such an incredible price to win you. Rick Warren said this, humility isn't thinking less of yourself. It's thinking about yourself less. We thought it was C.S. Lewis. John was like, I'm sure C.S. Lewis said that. It's actually Rick Warren. Humility isn't thinking less of yourself. It's thinking about yourself less. It's not having a wrong view. It's not saying, oh, woe is me. It's going, no, no, no. Man, what's your interests? I want to think about you. This was certainly what we see Jesus model to us. He was totally and utterly secure in the Father's love. I just do what I see my Father doing. He knew he and the Father were totally one. The King of glory. The Bible says that all things were for him, to him, because of him, through him. And he holds everything together by the power of his word. The only reason why you're breathing is because he says so. He knew exactly who he was. Yet he chose to humble himself. Listen to what it says in Isaiah. Surely he took up our infirmities and he carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we're healed. All of us have gone astray. All of us turned to his own way. But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he didn't open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a lamb before her shearers is silent, so he didn't even open his mouth. You want to talk about pride and humility? Jesus arrested as an innocent man. And he was executed. And he remained silent. I've got an opinion when I get cut up in the car. Jesus was executed and he remained silent. Look at what it says in Philippians. It says, who being in very nature God, Philippians 2 verse 6, talking about Jesus being in very nature God, didn't consider equality with God anything to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking on the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness, he was, a fa- he was found in an appearance as a man and he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Mark's gospel, Jesus says, the reason why the Son of Man came wasn't to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. See, Jesus wasn't marked with pride in any way, shape or form. That just wasn't his deal. It wasn't even a sniff of it in his life. His whole life and ministry was one of self-sacrifice, self-surrender for the sake of us, for the sake of humanity. It says in Hebrews, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. We were his joy. And we were the joy set before him. And he came. So as we're thinking about Christmas... The ultimate act of humility is God coming and putting on skin. 
And actually, let's take it a little bit further, that he would suffer and he would die and he would lay down his life for us, humanity. Criminals, sinners, the rejected, the broken, the hurting, the despised, the tax collector, the prostitute, the hurt, and he would lay down his life for us. So true humility looks like Jesus. I just want to say this at this point. We don't feel our way into humility. Anyone ever felt it? No. (laughs) I never feel it. I never feel it. I'm so driven by my feelings, but very rarely do I feel, hey, I'm just feeling so humble today. I'm just humble. Nor, Nor can we pray for each other to receive some supernatural gift of humility. I want to be clear. We pray for strength. We pray that God's power is at work with us, but God will never zap you with some sort of gift from heaven which will mean, man, Michael, you've nailed it now, bro. You're just going to live a humble life for the rest of your life. No, humility is ours to choose. This is the radical, ridiculous nature of God. He gives us free will. He empowers us with the Holy Spirit. And he says, you're empowered to choose the right things to do. You're empowered. You're empowered. Jesus lived a life of choice. He chose to come. He chose to suffer. He chose humility. And it's ours to choose as well. And it's a choice we make every day. Listen to this in uh, Philippians 2 again, right at the beginning of chapter 2. It says, this is how we're to imitate Christ. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from his love, any fellowship with the Spirit, any any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded having the same love, being the same in purpose and spirit. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But in humility, listen to this, but in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Just let that hang for a moment. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Ephesians 4 Paul, the same writer, says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. You know, I want to live a life worthy of the calling that Jesus has called me to. He radically saved me and he's radically saved you. And there's a calling on our lives and there's a lifestyle. And we're empowered. It says, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. I wonder what this word completely means. Sometimes I'm averagely humble. Other times I'm slightly humble. I wonder what it looked like to be completely humble. Completely. And then Colossians. Colossians 3. Going the wrong way. Colossians 3 verse 12. says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly love, clothe yourselves with compassion with kindness, with humility, gentleness, and patience. There's clothing, there's new clothing we are now empowered to wear. This is what I want us to see as we're followers of Jesus. Jesus chose, we can choose. Paul refers it to like putting on garments, wearing clothes. There's clothes that we can wear that just don't fit us anymore. Unforgiveness, bitterness, resentment, hatred, defensiveness, anger, 
resentment, pride, arrogance. We can keep going. Disrespect. Their garments are actually, for the believer now, look ridiculous. They just don't look good on us any longer. There's new clothing. Paul is saying there's a brand new wardrobe that Jesus won for you. Come into the walk-in wardrobe and put on the garment of praise. Put on the garment of thankfulness. Put on the... I said, I'll leave it there. Put on the, the jeans of compassion. I'll say it, the underpants of faithfulness. But you know what? I, I guarantee that most people here, apart from the little ones, you chose what clothing to put on this morning. I'm not standing here in a ball gown. I would look ridiculous or wonderful, however you look at it. But I chose to put the right clothes on. And this is what I want us to see. We're empowered by Holy Spirit to choose the right clothes to wear. And it's never, ever okay. Never, ever okay to wear pride. They just don't fit you anymore. They don't fit you. Maybe we should say that to one another. Man, you look ridiculous in that garment. You don't need it. Why aren't you wearing your new garment? I'm, I'm one to talk. I don't wear my new garments that often. But what I want to say is, hey, let's choose to put on the right clothes. Choose to believe, man, I've outgrown pride. I've outgrown those garments that were clogging up my heart. And I'm going to wear these new robes that Jesus has won for me. Friends, pride is always knocking at the door. Always wanting to come in. And humility learns to keep the door shut. Say, no, I'm not letting you in. God's given us what we need. As we close, I want to look at re-engineering this psalm. I'm not going to add to it, don't worry. But I want to look at it backwards. Because I, I, I saw it when I looked at this, when I was getting ready for this. I thought, man, it's all here. When you look at it backwards, it starts with verse 3, hope. The way that we can get to a place where we can say, my heart is not proud, we've got to put our hearts somewhere. We've got to learn to position our hearts with the Lord. We've got to learn, like David did, my hope is in him. Put your hope in God. Let that be the encouragement to us. Put our hope, our trust, our security, our confidence our faith, everything that we are, put it in God. If we're fearful, put my hope in God. If I'm rejected, put my hope in God. If I've been overlooked, I'm going to put my hope in God. Isaiah says that those who hope in the Lord renew their strength. Psalm 40, blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust. You know, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. And it's not a fear like I'm going to be smited. It's a reverent fear. It's like, man, I'm, I'm putting my hope in the Holy One, in the one set apart, the one that is utterly different than humanity, the one who is awesome and sovereign and great and mighty. I'm putting my hope there. We sang this song earlier with the lyrics that said, I will rest in your promises. My trust, my confidence is in your faithfulness. That's how you hope in the Lord. My confidence is in his faithfulness. I feel utterly left out right now, but my hope is in his faithfulness. And then verse two leads to contentment. When we hope in the Lord, we can live like weaned and content and still and quiet and satisfied children. That's the goal of our life, to live like we've heard this morning. But it doesn't just happen in a vacuum. 
You've got to put your heart somewhere because it's in the Lord that shapes our hearts where we're satisfied, where we get to a place where he says, man, he's enough. Even if everything goes belly up, he's enough for me. He's enough for me. My heart may may fail and all may leave me. He's enough for me. Contentment leads to security in your identity. We realise that everything is found in him. Everything is found in him. Yeah, we need one another. Of course, God puts us in family. But first and foremost, we need to root ourselves in him. Strengthen ourselves in the Lord. And then verse 1, we see this beautiful heart transformation where David starts by saying, Hey guys, as we sing, let's sing the song. We're not proud. Who are you? You can imagine it. Running out to battle. Enemies, we're, we're not proud. The reason why he got to this place is because he hoped in the Lord. His soul within was calm and rested and content. And then he could confidently say, man, we're not proud. We know who we are. We know who we are. So I, I want us to dream a little bit, if I'm honest, to say, hey, what would it look like to have a whole community that were confident in who they are? Confident in who God is, having the right confidence, not an arrogance. Oh, no. I'm talking a godly, humble, meek-spirited confidence. Imagine you as an individual living that way, where you don't consider your own interests, but the interests of others. And now imagine a whole family living this way. Man, I think we'd see Manchester flipped upside down. I genuinely do. We'd see this whole city changed. If every follower of Jesus knew who they were, they went low, they went slow, and they stopped for the one person in front of them. Who's God putting in your life? Like Phil brilliantly spoke on last week. Psalm 1494 says, For the Lord takes delight in his people, and he crowns the humble with victory, with salvation.